Each of Tommy's family members and friends is very appreciative of your attendance today. To express your sympathy to them and assure them of your thoughts and prayers at this time. We are met together in God's presence to acknowledge His sovereignty in death as in life, to seek His Word for the challenge and comfort of our hearts. It is His Word and His promise alone that brings consolation and also challenge at such a time as this. So to Tommy's brothers, William and Kenneth, brother-in-law, Stanley, nieces, Florence, Carol, Yvonne, and Sharon, nephew Ian, Carol's husband, Billy, who I understand was very close to Tommy, and all the extended family and friends, including the children and grandchildren within the family circle, we would assure you of our prayers and convey to you our sympathy. We're going to turn to the order of service and to the opening hymn there, How Great Thou Art. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works Thy hand hath made, I see the stars, I hear the mighty thunder, Thy power throughout the universe displayed then sings my soul. Let's stand together, please, as we sing.
be seated. We're glad to have with us this morning Reverend David McLaughlin from our Carrie Duff Free Presbyterian congregation, and I'm going to ask him now to open our service in prayer. Thank you. Before we offer prayer, can I express on behalf of the Carrie Duff congregation our deepest condolences to all of the family here today. Many of you I know personally, and our thoughts are with William and Kenny in particular, and the passing of a dear brother, my dear friend, Stanley Cook, Thomas's brother-in-law, and those of you who are nieces and nephews, Yvonne and Sharon and Flo and Carl and Ian, and the wider family, our thoughts and prayers are with you at this time. I remember the first occasion when I met the late Thomas Little. It was in his mother's house down in Sandy Row, and we immediately struck up a friendship, and it has endured all of these years. And I'm just sad that I wasn't with him in his last few months. Let's unite together in prayer. Eternal God and loving Heavenly Father, we come by faith into thy sacred and holy presence this morning. We do so in the precious and lovely name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. We're thrilled that we read in the scriptures, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Christ. We don't come in our name. We're not boasting of how great or good we are. But we come humbly, penitently, and yet confidently before the throne of heavenly grace. And we ask through our Lord Jesus Christ that thou would have grace and mercy for us at this time. We ask thee, O God, for a conscious sense of thy presence, even as we conduct this funeral service. We thank you for this beautiful hymn of praise that we have sung, How Great Thou Art. And we're very conscious today that this was one of the late Thomas's favorite hymns. And we pray, Lord, that you'll bless it to us, not only as we have sung it, but, O oh God, bless us with insight and understanding. We thank thee today, even for thy goodness uh, to the late Thomas. We bless thee for the day of his birth, the life that he lived. And we thank you, Lord, for the testimony that he's left. And even though life was hard and a struggle, especially toward the end, we thank thee for thy grace that met thy servant at the point of his need. And we look to thee today as we gather here to mourn. We ask thee that thou, the God of all comfort, and the Father of mercies, would draw near to each of us. Thou dost know the close family. Thou dost know those in the wider family. Thou dost know, Lord, those that are dear friends of Thomas's. And, O oh God, we ask thee that thou will minister even to each of our hearts at this time. We thank thee that we can turn to thee, the God of comfort, we thank thee we have the word of consolation. We thank thee, O God, we sorrow not as those without hope. For we bless thee for the great hope that we have in the gospel of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And we just commend the rest of this service to thee now. We ask thee for thy servant, Dr. Brown. Remember him as he uh, brings thy word of challenge and comfort to our hearts. Undertake. And we pray that it will be a word and season for all of us at this particular time. We just commit ourselves now unto thee. 
bless this entire family, we pray, and meet the need through the redeeming, reconciling work of Christ to bring honor and glory unto thy name. For we ask it today for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you, Reverend McLaughlin. We are going to read a couple of passages in God's Word. The first from the Old Testament, and then the second from the New. And Psalm 46, it has brought a lot of comfort uh, to many a heart for generations, if not even centuries. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear. Though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. Be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Then the words of the Lord Jesus to His disciples, and by extension to all who believe on Him, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also." And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thy goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to these readings from his word. We come to a tribute today for uh, Tommy, and in paying this brief tribute to him, I'm indebted to information supplied by his niece Florence, and to members and friends of the congregation here in the Martyrs, of which he has been a part for so many years. Tommy was born on the 20th of June, 1942, to May and Thomas Little, ultimately became one of eight children in the Little household. Though his mum hailed from Derry Lynn, his dad from Brookburham, the little family moved from Fermanagh to Belfast when Tommy was young, settling first in Coolberg Street off the Donegal Road, and from here he attended Linfield School. He clearly adored his mum. I've heard this from many of those who knew him, picked up the information from personal chats with him while on visitation. And if I needed any proof of that, then the proof came in the form of photographs that I was shown the other day that Tommy had on display in his house. 
generally stuck to the fridge or furniture with parcel tape, but his mum, May, appeared in just about every photograph. And I commented, Tommy appeared in virtually none of them. When towards the end of her life, May needed to reside at the Pines on the Lisburn Road, Tommy visited every single night. And when she died on the 17th of May 2012, he was devastated. The blow of her passing was compounded when his sister Shirley died only a few years ago. Tommy's entire working life was spent as a shunter for the buses. During the dark days of the Troubles, he would be found making his way to the Falls and Ardoin Depot. Later, he walked to work at Ulster Bus in Great Victoria Street. Tommy's approach to life was typically no frills and no fuss. No foreign sun-seeking holidays for him. His place of choice was Newcastle, but only when it was under the view of being there in the morning, but back home at night. His taste in food? Maris Piper potatoes. Nothing else apparently would do. He liked duck, and just about whatever was fried by the Supreme, the best in the country, I'm told, not only by him, but by others. You could say that Tommy was uncluttered, definitely not a hoarder. Many an item found its way to the bottom of his bin, whether it deserved that inglorious end or not. The story's told of a CD player that was purchased to play his favorite CDs. Florence and Tommy set off to Clocky to buy it. It performed perfectly when it was demonstrated by the seller, but when Tommy got it home. He decided it's not working, and there was going to be no negotiation on that, and no effort to revive it into the bin it went. Now, he could produce his own music. He was a dab hand at the accordion, bought loads of them over the years, and only last year planned a trip to Drogheda to buy another one, as apparently, and I really am learning something here, the best accordions came out of Drogheda. Tommy had a huge appreciation for music. He used to very quickly tell me when I booked what he deemed to be a decent singer for martyrs to sing here, and he'd have said, they were good. Yes, very good. And his all-time favorites, of course, these weren't uh, people booked for the martyrs, Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard. And Meet Me in Heaven would have been one of the pieces by Johnny Cash that he particularly liked. So country music he loved, and gospel music too. Fishing was a bit of a passion. He would have gone back down to the old stomping ground in Fermanagh, borrowed on occasion his uncle's bicycle. Carol and Flo remember this on at least one occasion. When they both got on the bike when Tommy was pedalling down Winnie Lane, then crashed, threw them further down the lane. Now, he upgraded from the bicycle to cars, and these two became a major love in his life. Always minis. Some red, some blue. I'm not sure about the white, 
Some he painted by hand, but all of them were his pride and joy. He continually offered to buy my Sirocco. Don't know why, because it's uh, 12 years old. But that became a bit of a running joke, and he was always commenting on it when he saw it in the car park. Those in the church remember him parking his mini at the corner of the main building with his dog in the car as Tommy came into the service, and the dog whining and crying and barking until the service was over and Tommy reappeared. That dog, those dogs actually, because over time he had several, were walked around Sandy Row, Bradbury Place and the like, and Tommy replaced one with another and another until the time came when he knew that he wasn't able to give them the walks they needed. He kept budgies too. There was a Lydia who lasted 12 years. Joey was the final one, and Joey died during one of those freezing weeks when Tommy was in the Mater Hospital. Though Flo couldn't bring herself to tell him that she had found Joey lying in the bottom of his big cage, another story, because he asked about Joey every single night. She knew how attached he was to it, so she schemed a little plan, at least in her head, that would involve her taking photographs of the bird in an effort to find one somewhere that was identical. Then when Tommy would come home, both she and the budgie would whistle as if they knew nothing. Tommy had a good heart, cared for his family, didn't forget them at Christmas and birthdays, had a good relationship with his neighbours, dropped by regularly at the DUP office at Sandy Room, usually with a wee bun for Tracy, and always bought the little girl next door a pair of patent shoes for Christmas. And he was generous to this church as well. Tommy and his mum were big supporters of Dr. Ian Paisley and were regular attenders of the martyrs. And for Tommy, this continued right up to his last sickness. May said to one of the church elders before she died, please pray for my Tommy. One day after that, Dr. Paisley approached the same elder with joy and said, I've just led we Tommy Little to Jesus Christ. Amen. He had plenty of Bibles in his house, tracts too, and a book about Genesis that he had in his bedroom that was shown to me this week that really tickled my fancy, especially some of the notes that appeared both on the front cover and inside the book, not written by him, but by someone else to whom the book had previously belonged. And with these comments, I bring this tribute to a close. On the cover of the book was written, Do you think that God will ever forget any of His promises? The answer is, of course, He won't. When He promises, for example, John chapter 6, verse 37, Him that cometh to me, to Christ, I will in no wise cast doubt. He means it for me, for Tommy, for you. And inside, I noted this comment, You'll never get a busy signal on the prayer line to heaven. 
And again, a little poem, Savior, let me walk beside thee. Let me feel my hand in thine. Let me know the joy of walking in thy strength and not in mine. I'm going to call at this stage the grandson, Adi Best, to come and bring a reading to us. Thank you. Miss me, but let me go. When I come to the end of the road and the sun has set for me, I want no right in a gloom-filled room why cry for a soul set free. Miss me a little, but not too long, and now with your head bowed low, remember the love that was once shared. Miss me, but let me go. For this is a journey we all must take and each must go alone. It's all a part of the Master's plan, a step on the road to home. When you are lonely and sick of heart, go to the friends we know and bury your sorrows in doing good deeds. Miss me, but let me go. I'd like to thank Adi for that. Uh, much appreciated. 1942. I noted the year of Tommy's birth, and then a question sprang immediately to mind. Well, that was one of the war years in the Second World War. What else happened in 1942? Well, there was the world stage being dominated at the time by events in the Second World War, and I suppose not much else would have been brought up. In fact, the first States, United States troops for the European theatre arrived in the UK on the 26th of January of 1942. Destination was Belfast. They were soldiers of the US Army's 34th Infantry Division called the Red Bull Division. Interestingly, a National Guard outfit they were. Apparently, the Belfast crowd greeted those American troops very warmly. Some Belfast women, though, remarked that they had expected that the Americans would have been taller. Three days later, the radio program Desert Island Discs was first broadcast on the BBC Forces program. That was the 29th of January, presented by Roy Plumley. The program would still be running 75 years later. Possibly of much greater interest to Tommy Little in terms of events that happened in the year of his birth, you will know that he was a great royalist. And on the 25th of February, Princess Elizabeth, later Queen Elizabeth II, of course, registered for war service. On the 18th of June, Paul McCartney, famously of the Beatles, was born. Two days later, Tommy Little was born. 20th of June, 1942, in Tattenfree, Brookburn, County Fermanagh. Then on 25th of August of that year, there was the military air crash, Dunbeef air crash, in which Prince George, the Duke of Kent, brother of George VI, was among 14 people killed near Caithness in Scotland. Closer to home, here in Northern Ireland, on the 1st of January, 
the Clocker Valley Railway stopped operations and so closed. So Tommy would have missed out on that. C.S. Lewis' novel, The Screwtape Letters, was published. Then a British comedy film, Bob's Your Uncle, depicting members of a home guard unit, was released. So I'm thinking, what happened in the year in which Tommy Little was born? Because of the date, 1942, the large lifespan to which it points, then a question in the Bible came to my mind. And I find it in 2 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 34. It was a question in Scripture posed by a man who at the time when he asked the question was exactly the same age that Thomas Little reached. The man who asked the question was called Barzillai. He was 80 years of age at the time. He knew something, that he wasn't going to live on earth forever. In fact, he knew that his time was almost up. And those grains of sand in the egg timer of his life were almost completely through. And soon he realized, I will be led in the grave. Then when King David tried to persuade Barzillai to come along with me and bring me back with this triumphant group to the city of Jerusalem, I'll once again sit on the throne there. I'll look after you, Barzillai. But the answer of this 80-year-old man came back steeped in realism. How long have I to live? Why, David, would I come with you to Jerusalem? Because look at the stage I'm at in life. There is no point. And we are wise at this moment if we're asking ourselves solemnly, soberly before Almighty God, how long have I to live? It's a vital question. Some thoughts to help us address that issue. Number one is this. Whatever length of time we have on this earth, it is short. Whatever length of time we have on this earth, it is short. Barzillai asked, how long have I to live? And he was conscious he didn't have long from that moment on. Maybe long is not really the word. More like what appears in Psalm 89 verse 47, where the psalmist says, Remember how short my time is. And I find as I go through the Bible that the great emphasis I get here is not on the length of my time, but on the shortness of my time. Psalm 90 verse 10 speaks of the potential lifespan of human beings when it says the days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, such as Tommy Little got to, yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Seventy, eighty years seems a colossal length of time to a child, as that child will be growing up and looking forward in wonder, and anyone it sees through its childish eyes that's 70 or 80 looks positively ancient. But now that I'm a lot closer to that than I was some years ago, I'm thinking it's not really that terribly long at all. And if you talk to a 70 or 80 year old or even beyond that, they can remember the days of childhood as though they were yesterday. And if I take 70 years and put it against 
the measurement of endless years, God's eternity that just keeps on going, then in comparison, 70, 80 years, they are nothing. No wonder Job said in the Bible, in Job 7, the verse 6, his days were swifter than a weaver's shuttle. And if you or I were going to understand that, we'd probably need to go up the road towards Bangor and call in at the Ulster Folk Museum at Coltraw and see the shuttle going along the loom and just see how quickly that moves. Job says, my days were like that. He said as well in Job 8 and 9, our days upon earth are a shadow. The psalmist said, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and my age is as nothing before thee. And I suppose even more graphically is the way that James puts it. In James 4 and 14, whereas he says, We know not what will be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. The steam out of a kettle is a representation of our lives and how quickly they pass. On Remembrance Day, characteristically, and FA Cup Final Day, we'll always hear the hymn, Abide With Me, containing the line, swift to its close, ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. And the truth is, no matter how we view it, whatever length of time we have left on this earth, it is short, it is shorter than we think, And it is shortening by the second. How long have I to live? Then secondly, whatever length of time we have left on this earth, we must prepare for eternity now. Whatever length of time we have left on this earth, we must prepare for eternity now. How long have I to live? I find people today, and it's no different to people yesterday and many years ago, they're relying on some second chance beyond the grave. I mean, if I don't accept the mercy offered to me by Jesus Christ today, and if I reject His love, and if I don't follow Him according to His Word, well, it'll still work out all right for me because I'm relying on some additional mercy the Bible doesn't talk about some path to salvation, back entrance to heaven that the Bible doesn't talk about. Well, the truth of the matter is that after this life, there is no further chance of salvation. We need to prepare now. Our Lord Jesus Christ introduces us to a typical man in Luke chapter 12. We call him the rich fool, but really whether we're poorly off or well off, I think he represents all of us. And he thought within himself, and he said, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns, I'll build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods led up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And he's stretching himself out, and he's thinking his whole life is going to spread itself over many future years. But what he didn't know was this, that Almighty God had already drawn the boundary line for that man's life. And try as he may, plan as he may, scheme as he may, he was not going to overrun that 
boundary line or steamroller his way through it. And so in Luke 12, the verse 20, we have this record, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So we can have our elaborate plans for many years, and yet still, who can tell, but like that man, only have a few hours left. I do not know how long or short a time I have left, nor do you. But once earth is exited and eternity entered, it is too late to be saved. On the 8th of October, 1871, a greatly used American evangelist, D.L. Moody, preached to the largest congregation he ever did preach to in the city of Chicago. His text was Matthew 27, the verse 22. Again, a big prominent question, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And he brought the sermon to a close, and he gave his congregation that night this advice. I wish that you would take this text home with you, turn it over in your minds, and next Sunday we shall come to Calvary and the cross and decide what to do with Jesus of Nazareth. Ara de Sanke sang the closing hymn. And I'm sure, given the fact he was one of the best singers in his generation, he would have met with Tommy's approval. But then the clang of fire bells was heard. The great fire of Chicago reduced Moody's Hall to ashes. Over 1,000 people across the city perished. Some of them had been members of his congregation that night. Moody said it was the greatest mistake that he had ever made telling his hearers to go home and postpone their decision for Christ till the following Sunday. The most important thing that you and I can do in time is to make preparation for eternity. How long have I to live? Whatever length of time we have on this earth, it is short. Whatever length of time we have left on this earth, we must prepare for eternity now. The final thought we're bringing out of the question here, how long have I to live, is this, whatever length of time we have left on this earth, there is only one way in which we can prepare for eternity. There is only one way in which we can prepare for eternity. It's sometimes interesting to ask people the question, do you want to go to heaven? Because almost universally, with very few exceptions, the answer will be immediately, yes, I want to go to heaven. Increasingly, I get the impression that people imagine, well, everybody is going to heaven. No matter what preparation they've made or haven't made, and no matter how they've lived on the earth, on the way to it. And it would seem like it it doesn't matter how you behave, and it doesn't matter what you believe, or whether or not you've even spent as much as a second living for and loving Christ on earth or not. By their logic, everybody's guaranteed to get there in the end. I am not the gatekeeper of heaven. My Lord Jesus Christ is. 
I have no right and don't set the entrance qualifications, but it's his city, and he does. How does anyone get to heaven? Well, to ask that question, I think the answers would be interesting and maybe even distressing. Don't let anyone tell you there are two or three or a multitude of ways to God and to His heaven. Because Jesus, and we have read His words today in one of our Bible readings, says, I am the way. And He tells us, no man will get to the Father but by me. That's exclusive. Years ago, a blind man was reading his Braille Bible aloud on one of London's bridges, Westminster Bridge. And a crowd sympathetically gathered around him to listen. But suddenly, as he came to words that we have printed in Acts 4 and the verse 12, the blind man lost his place. And so he kept, as he's struggling to get his place again, he kept repeating the last words that he had read. And his fingers are going down that Braille Bible. None other name, he said. None other name. None other name. And the crowd began to smile. One man passing from the city, he didn't snigger or laugh, because those words, none other name, fastened onto his heart. And they brought him in time to the Savior. The full verse reads, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Only Jesus saves. Good works, doing the best you can, church attendance, church contributions, charitable deeds, all of that, while they are commendable in their own way, they are not converting. They will never see you into heaven, just as well too. Otherwise, that dying thief would never have stood a chance. He was only breaths away from death. He couldn't embark upon some kind of a moral crusade to build up his good works, quotient now. Some system of good deeds that would get him a passport into heaven. However, the moment a sinner believes and trusts in a crucified God, a pardon at once he receives salvation in full through the blood. And I pray that you and I will be that sinner that believes and trusts in a crucified God. And so in answer to the question, how long have I lived, we'll be saying, well, whether long or short, it doesn't really matter in the big scheme of things because I've made my preparation for heaven. And that's the big thing that really counts. We'll turn to the final hymn in the order of service, again chosen by Tommy, one of his favorites, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And after the service, tea will be served upstairs in the Jubilee Hall, so out the main doors, turn right, and if you want to use lifts, the lifts will meet you first, and then there are stairs beyond the lifts, and just travel right up uh, to the top floor. 
floor two on the lift buttons and right to the top of the stairs and tea and light refreshments will be served and all of you are very welcome to remain for that. The interment is at St. Margaret's Parish Church in Clabby and the time scheduled there is 2 p.m. And after the service, we will be leaving uh, Tommy's remains here in the church and moving out immediately uh, for some tea, and then uh, his remains will be carried after that out through the main doors. Let's stand as we sing, please, Amazing Grace.
Heavenly Father, we commit our way to Thee today. We thank Thee for what has happened in this service, for the tribute that has been given, reflecting on the life of Tommy Little. We thank Thee, Lord, for the family and friends that are gathered here today, showing their sympathy and displaying their love and their care. Lord, we pray that I will be with each and every one of them, that I will be near his brothers, William and Kenneth, his brother-in-law, Stanley, Anisus, Florence, and Carol, and Yvonne, and Sharon, and the nephew, Ian. And we pray for Billy, too, and all of the other family and friends gathered here. May they know thy touch. May thy word minister comfort and also bring challenge to our hearts. And may we, while time allows us, may we prepare to meet thee and know that one day within the veil, we, as we've just been singing, will know that life of joy and peace. In our Savior's precious and blessed name, we pray. Amen. Amen.